Welcome to a special edition of Lost in Science, Lost in Science Week. It's Science Week, it's Science Week, it's Science Week, it's Science Week. Alright, I'll stop now. Is that the official Science Week theme song? That's it's the official Lost in Science Week theme song. That's right, that's right. Um, the unofficial National Science Week song. That's correct. And uh, you can you can grab the single from uh, 3CR Records. Um <laughs> It is it is science week coming up and it's well it's it's more than a week of science it's you know a good 10 to 11 days worth of science and all sorts of various random events scattered about either side as well uh, and I think Claire yeah you have got a rundown of some of those events I do I mean there are hundreds thousands of events happening across the country for National Science Week or as we often love to call it, Science Christmas. Uh, But I'm just going to be sampling a few from around the country. Uh, But the wonderful thing is you can jump online to scienceweek.net.au at any time and see what's happening in your local area. And this year they have, um, they've smarted up from last year and they've got a a face-to-face or an online um, uh, button that that you can press from the get-go. So, you know, if you're in lockdown, doesn't mean you can't um, can't engage in Science Week. There are going to be a lot of online fun events and ways to engage with the scientists around Australia. So, yeah, I'm going to take you around Australia for the best of Science Week. What does pressing the button get you? Oh, oh, it's 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 just a filter. Oh. So it'll it'll take you to where um, what's happening near you, and then there's um, a filter that'll that'll either take you to face to face events or digital online events. And look, even even if we weren't in various lockdowns around the place, that's a pretty handy thing to have for a National Science Week uh, calendar. You know, being such a big country, we're yeah. spread out pretty far apart. It'd be a handy thing every year, and, and it's good that they've actually got on board with that. And Chris, what have you got for us this week? Well, look, it is great to hear that Science Week is still going on despite lockdowns. You know what else is going on despite lockdowns? But also climate change. Oh, okay. While but, you're enjoying your current yeah. um, apocalypse, don't forget about the the larger ongoing apocalypse. Uh, look, uh-huh. I'm just going to look at what is happening at the moment, especially in the context of the latest IPCC report that has come out. And yeah, just some of the stuff that it says, but also some of the, the major uh, things that have happened in recent weeks, possible signs of tipping points. And just a reminder that we, we need to do something about it. While we're all um, locked in, perhaps time to think about what you can do or what the country needs to do or the planet needs to do. Happy news. Happy news. Well, stay tuned for that happy news uh, later in the show. And uh, yeah, and also for the uh, excellent Science Week coverage that Claire has got for us.
well, it's August and we all know what that means. Why? It's Science Christmas, of course, National Science Week. It's kicking off from August 12 up to August 22. So it's more than a week, as you said in the introduction, Stu. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it, we call it Science Week, but we know it's two weekends and a week and yeah. all sorts of other bits. You I love Science can't... Week. I've had, I've had the theme song in my head for <laughs> minutes now. How does, you... how does that go again? What we do know is that you can't fit all the science there is to learn about in one week. So you do need a little bit of time either side of that that week. Um, and all across the country and most likely a place near you, wherever you are listening to us from, uh, whether that be a physical place or an online place, um, you can get involved in National Science Week. Um, and as I said in the introduction, everything you need to know, check out on the website. It's scienceweek.net.au. But because we love rising this country up about science so much, um, I've taken the liberty of heading onto the website to check out some of the funnest looking stuff. So um, please indulge me as I take a trip, a virtual trip around Australia during National Science Week uh, to see how, to see some of the um I mean, I won't say the best, but some of the things that caught my eye that the different states and territories are doing to celebrate National Science Week. Starting in Australia's capital, the ACT. There's a lot happening in the ACT. I feel like they really punch above their weight for Science Week. But one that caught my eye is happening on August 14, and it's a chance to get inside Canberra's one and only insect farm to see how they take uh, huge amounts of food waste uh, feed it to maggots, which consume the food waste, and convert that food waste into a sustainable protein and fertilizer. Love that. Especially because it's International Year of, what is it, plant, fruit and vegetables? Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, the International Year of Fruit and Vegetables. Yeah. 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 So what happens to those fruit and vegetables once they become rotten? Well, we can turn them back into protein in Canberra. Go check it out if you are there. And then once you're done with the insects, you can knock back a space beer at Bent Spoke. So a bunch of brewing scientists, and I'm sure a couple of um, physicists thrown into the mix as well, they launched a balloon into the upper atmosphere to catch space yeast um, and brought it back down to Earth. They brewed a beer out of it, and you can taste it during National Science Week. Sounds fun. I don't know what it's going to taste like. Maybe Milky Ways. So, yeah, that's that sounds brilliant if you are of the age to be able to be drinking beer. Um, now in New South Wales, there are, there's massive amounts going on, lots of stuff in the regions as well as some online events. In Newcastle, the Lockup Art Gallery have the Experimental Life Forms exhibition happening. So that uh, speculates on what new life forms are emerging through technology and biological adaptation. It's happening all throughout August. Or if you are in Wagga Wagga, there is scientific drawing happening at the Wagga Library. Specifically, not just in, not just your like you know your nice flowers. This is parasite scientific drawing. Ooh. So associate professor, um, an associate professor from the local university who is a nematode and parasite expert with a love of drawing. Um, she's going to be talking all about these creatures and how to draw their best angles. 
Actually, a nematode doesn't have a lot of good angles. I mean, it's just kind of a worm, isn't it? I mean... Oh, hey, that's that's your perspective, man. Okay, okay. Yeah. Or if you're in the Bega Valley Shire, head on down to Brawl by the River on August 22. Now, it's not that kind of brawl. You know, it's not going to get violent. Um, brawl stands for the Bega River and Wetlands Land Care. And they're hosting an event looking at indigenous bush foods and revegetation. So you can um, bring your family down, collect, soak and grind seeds on grinding stones and hear all about agro technologies that are used to grow commercial foods locally from indigenous plants, um, all from local knowledge holders and First Nations educators. Now jump on that plane, head up to the top end, um, because it looks like the Northern Territory are going all out with their stargazing for National Science Week. And I mean, why wouldn't you when you've got skies like they do up in the Northern Territory? That's what you want to be doing for Science Week. So throughout National Science Week, Top End Stargazers, they're partnering with rural and remote schools in Catherine, Adelaide River, Bachelor, Ramanginning and Mataranka. And they're going to be looking at um, at the stars, but in a two-way astronomy show. So the community will be invited to look at the sky via um, telescopes, and they'll be sharing knowledge about both traditional and Western astronomy. So it's not two-way. It's not two-way in terms of stars are looking back at you. The stars. <laughs> well, you never know. You never yeah. know, right? Could there be intelligent life looking back at us as we gaze out into the universe for National Science Week? There may be, but they won't see us for a really long time. <laughs> this is true. That's this a comforting thought. Yeah, that's a comforting thought. Now, if you're in Queensland and you're into augmented reality, you'll be pleased to know um, at the Westfield Gun City, you might be familiar, there's a huge mural of a young roboticist and her AI creation, a palm cockatoo, and they will be bringing this mural to life. Uh, via the magic of VR. So the University of Queensland has um, has a computer and artificial intelligence research hub um, that have been working on this for a very long time. And on August 21, you can go and check out the augmented reality and hear from the researchers who created it as well. Um, it sounds pretty awesome and pretty big as well. Now, down in South Australia, they must be getting hungry because there is a donut shooting robot competition on Saturday, August 14, at the Adelaide Showgrounds. Is that so, how they put the holes in the donuts? They get a robot to shoot them out? Is that how it works? I really don't know. But, but I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated to find out what a donut shooting robot competition looks like and what the, what the measurement is to compete in that. Is it the, how far the donut goes? How many donuts in a certain amount of time? I have no idea. But you can Flavor. have... Flavor, yeah, the different types of flavor. Do they have to shoot icing onto them? I don't know. It sounds awesome though, especially if you get to eat donuts at some point in time. Um, so you can head on down with your own robot and enter it into the robot competition. Or if you don't happen to have a donut shooting robot lying around, you can take part in a workshop and build a robot. Um, they're saying that you can do it in nine steps, nine uncomplicated steps, they say. So. Not sure about that. Um, not sure how far you don't know to go, but somebody please go down and let us know what it's all about. 
Um, and further south to Tasmania in Hobart, the Beaker Street Festival, um, which is the stalwart, I think, of National Science Week down there. Um, it is on again from August 6 to 14. There'll be talks by lead, um, leading scientists, live music in the speakeasy bar, art and science installations, hands-on microscopy, um, a sci-art crawl around Hobart. Um, and a bunch of dinners with scientists on something called the Tassie Science Road Trip. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Be careful which scientist you get put next to on the Tassie Science Road Trip. Could be someone awesome who has built a um, donut shooting robot or it could be a nematode scientist. I mean, both conversations are going to be pretty awesome, aren't they? <laughs> And in Victoria, there's a lot going on. Um, one thing that stood out for me, there's an eco-dyeing course um, using, you know, plants and flowers to, to um, dye clothes and materials happening in Melbourne. Um, but obviously one thing that is, um, you know, close to our heart is, and people might be missing at the moment, is uh, science trivia for National Science Week. So... If you are missing your science trivia, Victoria has you covered and there will be an online national science quiz which is hosted by Charlie Pickering on August 19. So bound to be hilarious and informative, no doubt. Um, let's just say probably not as good as the Lost in Science trivia night, but... Um, Do we, you know. Can we enter a Lost in Science team and just <laughs> knock them out of the water? <laughs> we can try, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. With that confidence, how could we go wrong, Chris? And bringing us back home um, is Western Australia, who, amongst other events, are putting on a science play for National Science Week called Emily La Marquise de Châtelet Defends Her Life Tonight. So, um... I'm a big fan of Emily de Châtelet, yeah. Yeah, right. Okay, so, you know, she's an 18th century French philosopher and mathematician. Um, she, her philosophy um, asks the questions... Oh, around sort of like love or philosophy, head or heart. Um, and, you know, that's what they got. That's what the play is all about. I feel like it's probably a, a more saucy and um, romantic sort of, uh, sort of, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's historically accurate, but I think it would pro probably, probably be a good one for Science Week. So she's um like she's well known. She translated Newton's Principia into French and added her own kind of little commentaries and stuff like that, and really popularised it in France. But she's also she was a lover of Voltaire, who <gasps> the famous Voltaire, who was a bit of a, a bit of a dude. So they had a passionate relationship, and yeah, that's where the the love kind of side comes into it as well. I'm sure. Okay, well that's saucier than I even thought. Amazing. Well done, Western Australia. I love that. So there you are. There's some highlights out there for you for um, seven or more days of to science up your life. Once again, that website, jump onto scienceweek.net.au um, and check out what's close to you and, of course, what's online for Science Christmas again this year.
across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you are listening to Lost in Science. All right, yes, as we were saying in the introduction, COVID has been on many people's minds, but in the meantime, there is another big thing going on, which is, of course, the ongoing threat of climate change hasn't abated really i mean obviously there have been a few less emissions while people have been uh locked down a bit but look it's it's temperatures continue to rise and um emissions continue to rise as well mm. um yeah so i sort of had a bit of a look at what is going on particularly because we've just seen the release of the sixth uh intergovernment panel on climate change report on the physical science of climate change and it pretty much says what you'd expect it to say that um it predicts we're going to see more temperatures rising but also more of the things that we have seen in recent weeks some of the disastrous impacts Mm. and natural disasters yeah so we've had what we've got currently we've got fires raging across southern europe um they've been and north america no, yeah, um, fires in North America, record-breaking heat waves in North mm. America as well. Um, deadly floods in China and India, as well as Germany and Belgium. Uh, and yeah, these sort of uh, impacts are expected to, to continue. Um, you know, <laughs> this, this is quite depressing, isn't it, really? Um, so they they predicted this, and this goes, kind of gives it, like I said, a preview of, of what's going to happen. Um, you know, at the, uh, the fifth... So the, the Paris climate talks in 2015, there was a commitment to try and keep temperatures under two degrees Celsius uh, this century with an aim for one and a half degrees. The one and a half degrees is pretty much out the, out the window. There's pretty much no way we're going to keep it under that. It's been to, to um, hit that in sometime in the next 20 years or so. But um, if we continue the way we're going at the moment, it'll probably be reached out by 2030. So within the decade, essentially, is what it's saying. Um, so that's, that's what we can look forward to, I guess. And there's also, of course, always going to be the fear of tipping points that will bring us into a new, more dangerous kind of climate scenario. And I thought I would look at some of the, um, the really exciting news that's happened on that ground in, in recent weeks as well. Um, there's been a bit of fear of Greenland. Um, the ice sheet on Greenland has been um, melting in a major way. And that's one of the ones that um, people, I guess, fear as being a major kind of climate tipping point if it continues. Um, there are signs that that is approaching that kind of level. Because um, you get basically feedback mechanisms with some of these climate effects that increase the effect. And one of the things we're seeing with the, um, the glaciers in Greenland is that as they melt, then, as you mentioned, the surface on top of the glacier gets lower as the glacier melts and as it does it gets to a lower altitude and where the temperature is slightly warmer Mm. so it melts melts a bit more Uh, and that is kind of one of the feedbacks effects that can lead to a tipping point that um, it's a large amount of melting which if the entire Greenland ice sheet was to melt would give you something like seven meters worth of of sea level rise but they're saying it could be like up to um, you know one to two meters effect just on the Greenland by the end of this century um, the way th- the right things are going this is not definite this is just like a possible tipping point because as much as that is one of those positive feedbacks there are a lot of other things that happen um with uh with these effects too that don't make it guaranteed like for instance um 
you know, one of the things with rising temperatures, you get more uh, water in the air, that can lead to more snowfall, which can actually increase the level of the ice as well. So it's a bit hard to say exactly um, how it will play out in the near future, but it is approaching that sort of tipping point. Now, one of the effects, though, of the melting of the, the Greenland ice is more fresh water going into the Atlantic. And this is leading to changes in the, what is it called, the Atlantic meridional overturning circulation, which is part of the whole kind of Gulf Stream sort of thing, where basically um, water water circulates in the in the northern Atlantic. Essentially, the way it works is that um, the waters from the south, which are warmer, um, they are warmer and they're salty. And so they flow north because they are, have a lot of salt in them. They're denser than the northern waters and they um, they go down and push the, the northern waters back down south again and leading to this circulating current. Um, with the with the, the melting of the, the Greenland ice, you're getting more fresh water coming in, you're reducing salinity and it is weakening this, um, this circulating current. And there's paper that was recently published that looked at these changes and saying it is approaching some sort of, um, some sort of uh, tipping point where it could go to a, a much weaker current. They just don't know when exactly that's going to be. It could be within a few decades. It could be within the next few centuries. They're not really sure. Apparently, the latest IPCC report thinks it's not close, but it's one of those things that could happen on the horizon there. And one of the one of the things that that affects is all the weather in uh, Western Europe, isn't that right? Well, the, the degree that it affects is not entirely clear. As I was researching this, I came across some people claiming that the effect on it, they did a modelling where they turned off the Gulf Stream entirely and found it didn't have a huge effect on their weather in Western Europe. Parts of it possibly, but not the whole of Western Europe. But it does have effect on some of it. It also affects things like rainfall patterns in Africa. Um, and so it would have it would have a massive climatic effects, maybe not to the extent as seen in the movie The Day After Tomorrow, where it led to like uh, incredible cold temperatures in North America. But um, like, who knows? Uh, it's exciting times we live in. Um, another possible tipping point is seen in the Amazon rainforest, which, um, you know, we kind of rely on the Amazon as being this one of these big, great big kind of green areas that removes the carbon dioxide from the air and gives us oxygen. But uh, there have been worrying signs that it may have reached some sort of, may reaching its own tipping point where it stops absorbing carbon dioxide and actually releases more of it. And uh, this has been seen in recent measurements where they basically measured the air above the Amazon. They took samples and measured the um, atmospheric carbon dioxide concentration and looking to see whether the, the carbon dioxide concentration increased or decreased as the air went through the Amazon. And what they found is that in parts of it, parts of the Eastern Amazon, it was actually increasing the amount of carbon dioxide. And this is aside from the ongoing fires that happen in the, in the Amazon. Um, they, they worked out, they looked, measured carbon monoxide as well to try and measure the, the extent of the fires. And they subtracted the calculated effect of fires and they found that it was still yeah, releasing more carbon dioxide. And this is due to, again, a feedback from climate change. 
that um, it makes the, the dry season hotter and drier and it stresses the ecosystem and causes there to be more fires and causes more damage. And basically the forest is no longer able to continue growing and absorbing carbon dioxide in the in the way that it did previously. So yeah, all good times. Um, so look, there is a lot of worrying stuff happening, but of course it is never too late to do something about it. You know, anything that is done will perhaps um, prevent more damage down the track. Um, and particularly for Australia, I think. Um, so there was a report released uh, in July that ranked Australia the worst for climate action out of nearly 200 countries. So they looked at things like um, per capita emissions from fossil fuel, how much emissions there was embodied in imports um, and exports and any kind of efforts at carbon pricing. And they basically concluded that Australia was the worst, um, yeah, the worst culprit in terms of climate action. So... I guess the good news there is that we can only improve and uh, you know hopefully um, with increasing increasing pressure from the world um, and perhaps with increasing pressure what we see can be done with a global crisis you know there will be finally be some uh, change for the better. That's all we've got time for on this episode of Lost in Science. Thanks for tuning in and joining us. Lost in Science is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. If you want to talk to us, talk back to us, uh, you can get in touch. We have a Gmail account, lostinsight at Gmail. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter and on the Facebook uh, and if that's not enough lost in science for you, you can always tune in again next week where the team will once again get lost, lost in science. listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.